it culturally changed the company a little bit because we thought, actually, why can't you be a business that's growing and into growth, but also do it in a more appropriate modern way? to say the nonprofit sector is broken. Less easy is saying how we're going to fix it. Welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors, where we speak with brilliant people to reimagine the future of social impact. In this fourth season, we'll be switching things up a bit and diving into what we all want, including and beyond donors. I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, IG's Managing Director, and we're a strategy consultancy specializing in social and environmental change. This podcast is part of our mission to fix the flow of resources for good. Welcome back to What Donors Want. Today, I'm very thrilled to share with you a conversation that I had with two brilliant people from the fashion brand Kurt Geiger. Neil Clifford, Kurt Geiger's CEO, and Pascal Montanet, Kurt Geiger's Vice President of Global Marketing and the Executive Director of the Kurt Geiger Kindness Foundation. Kurt Geiger, of course, you probably know, is the luxury British footwear and accessories brand launched in 1963. It has over 70 stores and approximately 170 concessions within department stores, including, of course, Harrods and Selfridges, and is now expanding to North America, too. At IG, full disclosure, we have been thrilled and very honored to collaborate with the Kurt Geiger team on their various social impact initiatives over the past year and a half-ish, including the launch of the Kurt Geiger Kindness Foundation, which is dedicated to giving young people, no matter their background, the opportunities and support needed to enter and thrive in the creative industries. The foundation is funded by the Kurt Cares Loyalty Scheme, which means that one pound of each product purchase is then donated to the charity, with the ambition to raise and distribute one million pounds a year to support young creatives. We're also working with the Kurt Geiger team to design and launch a very cool in-house flagship program called Business by Design, an Academy by Kurt Geiger. It's a really, really interesting example of an in-house corporate flagship program. And so we're going to use that as an example today to dive into what that means for Kurt Geiger specifically, but also what other brands can learn from this, what other nonprofits can learn from this as well in terms of your own corporate engagement. It's really quite a fascinating one. To give you a little bit more context, the pilot of Business by Design launches in September, and it's a completely free and subsidized program for young people ages 18 through 20, particularly those from marginalized and underrepresented backgrounds. It's aimed at training them up in all of the core functions of a fashion business, from design through to finance and marketing and HR, so that they can enter and thrive in the industry no matter their discipline. If you want to learn more about the program, or if you're a young person yourself who might be interested in joining the Academy, and or you work with young people who might be interested, to get in touch with Kurt Geiger directly, you can email Marwa. The email is foundation at kurtgeiger.com. And or you can register your details at the link in the description of this episode. That is a form that will go straight to the Kurt Geiger team, so they'll be able to get in touch with you directly. Okay. So as always, before we get started, I of course want to send a thank you and shout out to our official season four sponsor, Siegel Family Foundation, whose generosity and partnership makes this all possible. I also want to send a thank you to our fantastic media partner, Alliance Magazine. You can check out their website, alliancemagazine.org, and get 50% off an Alliance subscription with the code WHATDONORSWANT, all one word, at checkout. All right, that's enough from me. Now, on to the conversation with Neil and Pascal. Mm-hmm. 
Hello. Welcome, Neil and Pascal, to What Donors Want. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So we have a lot to talk about today with Kurt Geiger, with your foundation, with Business by Design and all of the work we've done. And I'm so excited to dive into that. But before we get too into the details, I'm wondering if we can just zoom out for a moment and kind of set the scene and properly introduce you to our listeners. So can you start by just telling listeners a little bit about yourself and particularly where you're from and how long you've been at Kurt Geiger and in what capacity? So Neil, let's go to you first. Okay, I'm the chief executive. I've been here since 96. So I'm like man and wow. man and boy, oh Kurt Geiger. Gosh. I didn't um, realize that. It's a yeah, long, long time. time. Long time. I had a little holiday in Switzerland for a couple of years, actually. Mm. I did a sort of bluff your way in private equity thing in Switzerland with mm. Valley Shoes, but I left and came back. Wow. So, yeah, I've been here a long time. The company was seven people in head office <laughs> above our shop in Bond Street in 96 when I joined. And how many people now? 240. Wow. I'm not sure that's a thing to brag about, really. But anyway, the company's a lot bigger. It's 10 times bigger in mm-hmm. sales and profits. So I've done something right. Amazing. Pascal? Hi, I am French. You will probably hear that from my accent, even though I've spent most of my adulthood outside my country abroad. Mm. And I am the vice president of global marketing at Kurt Geiger. And I've been with Kurt Geiger 10 years. So Like Neil, I've been here for a long time, so there's definitely something that actually is very exciting and actually drives you every day at Kurt Geiger, and that's why I like it. Mm -hmm. The company was different when I joined, much global business nowadays, and it's wonderful also to actually work for an innovative company who actually really cares about social impact and have decided to actually launch a foundation and to be really committed about that. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a perfect segue (laughs) into asking you more about that specifically, because there's there's so many different areas we can touch on with social impact. But I want to start with the foundation first, which we and we've been working with you now for a year and a half. Yeah. 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 It's been a minute. It's been an amazing minute. And we know that you launched the foundation last September. So it's almost coming up on its birthday, which is also very exciting. The Kurt Geiger Kindness Foundation. And that was really kind of you formalizing your philanthropy into that entity. I know you've done a lot before and different social impact initiatives. So this wasn't the beginning of it. It was just the formalizing and the creation Mm -hmm. of that new entity and that separate charity. So I'm wondering if you can just explain why you wanted to do that. Why did you want to formalize the business's philanthropy into a separate charity and foundation? And why now? What was it about that moment last year that was the right timing? Well, it happened by accident, really. Of course, it now looks very strategic and very clever, but it was really coming out of covid I suppose. We always tried to be a decent company, but, you know, we've been almost 20 years in private equity, so there's a lot of good capitalism that goes on here. We're motivated to grow our sales and our profits and our more drier numbers, Mm -hmm. but we tried to do that in the right way and tried to look after our people and things. And then along came COVID, which, you know, the company went from record sales, record profits to technical bankruptcy, in three mm-hmm. months. Wow. So that was such a shock to the system mm-hmm. and actually such a pain in the ass from being a CEO in that situation mm-hmm. and bad for everybody. And and I suppose what happened then was obviously it happened and it was terrible, but it happened at the worst possible time. We had a warehouse full of shoes, hundreds of thousands of shoes and handbags, and we were sat around as a board with our stores closed 
we weren't as international as we are now. So we were really at risk of collapse. <laughs> and we said, you know what, we're going to go down in flames and let's give our products away. Mm-hmm. And my, my niece actually is now featured, she's featured in the, some of our ad campaigns and things, is a, is a nurse. And she was working on the front line in the pandemic and said jokingly to me, well, it would be wonderful if we could have some shoes. You know, asked her what, on the family WhatsApp group, mm-hmm. what can we do to help? Mm-hmm. So there it began. That was in the March 21 or whatever date, the March 22. Mm-hmm. And we sent her, I drove there actually, a bag of gift cards for the frontline workers. Mm-hmm. And there, from then really, we delivered hundreds of bags of gift cards to every hospital in the UK. Hmm. Um, Okay, that was a nice thing to do, of course, but it culturally changed the company a little bit because we thought, actually, why can't you be a business that's growing and into growth, but also do it in a more appropriate modern way? Mm -hmm. That was the catalyst for me. I suppose to answer your question was, why did the foundation come about? was about... How do we bring that energy into the middle of the company and not mm-hmm. just on the outside? So mm-hmm. that's where the where you came in, actually. Mm-hmm. We're lucky to find you guys. Mm. Likewise. Mm. I think, as Neil said, out of adversity, creativity comes. And I think this, that was mm-hmm. basically the awakening moment. And I think we, we always try to do good. Every year we're trying to do something. So we've been supporting London College of Fashion, for instance, Save mm-hmm. the Children, the UNICEF, and the NHS during the pandemic, which was the most terrible time for the company. I think what was very clear during this time is that we really wanted to be committed and actually have more of a wide-reaching and showing a commitment mm-hmm. uh, to our customers, to our community, but also to our employees. Because as Neil said, during the pandemic, that's how we realized that actually what actually held us together was actually that we really wanted to do something, something at whatever level we could at our level, but actually we wanted to help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what happened. The creation of the foundation came from the worst moment in the company because we, we really want to be serious about it and want to actually Mm -hmm. have a long-term strategy Mm -hmm. i love that from adversity comes creativity i mean that's true that's very tied to the mission of the foundation as well and how the business model of attaching the revenue that you then grant make onto the purchases of of your product in order to be able to make that investment i imagine as you were rebuilding from the technical bankruptcy as you said yeah and our private equity guys i was scared to go and tell them really because it's quite difficult to go and say actually we're going to give away hundreds of thousands of pairs of shoes what do you think yeah you know it's not an easy conversation but they were brilliant the guys at simba were like actually don't lose the opportunity you have in a crisis Mm -hmm. to change your company for the good and i'm like that's cool. You've given me the mm. the green light in a way to lead that boldness mm-hmm. through that mm. period. So mm-hmm. that was really cool. And of course, we're a better company now because of it, actually. Yeah, yeah. that's so cool. I want to ask as well about 
the kind of mission and the ethos of the foundation because it's called the Kurt Geiger Kindness Foundation. So, and kindness has hmm. pre-existed that name, right? It's like such a, a word baked into your brand. And the mission of the foundation, which I'm just going to read to listeners, is to give young people, no matter their background, the opportunities and support needed to enter and thrive in the creative industries, which I love. Personally, I'm very hmm, attached you to that mission. Write it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's true, but... All we did was put words and wordsmithing to the ideas in the heart that was in that boardroom. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about why that mission. Obviously, it's very connected to your brand in many ways. But what was it about that particular mission that lit you up? Well, a couple of things for me. One was I'm dyslexic. So I failed all my qualifications at school, left school with no qualifications. So there's a sort of personal thing for me that was how do I now in this very lucky position help people like me a bit? And we all had, we can all name the one person in our lives that's given us that nudge or help or support or advice or motivation. So there was a sort of internal deep thing in me about what would it like to be me in 2021 or whatever. But also I think retail is a wonderful, it's the biggest private employer in the UK. So it's a place where young people go before they know what they want to do, basically to get money. Yeah, right? my first job was in retail. Yeah, I, I think most of <laughs> most people don't trust anyone that didn't have a first job in retail. Um, <laughs> And therefore, we've got this amazing audience, both our customers, but also our staff that have got a vehicle to get a career, even though you don't really know what those careers are. How do you go and find, if you've left school with only GCSEs or you haven't been to university, how do you know how to become a shoe designer? How do you know how to work in digital marketing? How do you know how to be an accountant? So we've got a quite unique opportunity with the skills that are in the retail and brand business to be able to help. Yeah, absolutely. I, lo I love that, actually. It's going back to the first job for many young people mm -hmm. and then being able to support that pipeline and help them thrive there, but also in the future. That's super cool. And I'm wondering now, it's been a year-ish almost since you launched the foundation, which was wonderful. We had this great event at The Conduit. And I'm wondering what, in reflection, in this past year, but also before it, when we were doing all the strategy and setting up the foundation, what has been the biggest learning curve for you? What has been unexpected or surprising or something about corporate philanthropy and foundations that you know now that you didn't used to? There's a couple of things. If I was to start with the positive aspects, I am amazed by the number of incredible individual working and supporting young people because the foundation is actually helping grassroots organization supporting young people. And of course, I knew they were challenged. That's why we wanted this foundation to be set. Mm -hmm. But it's until you actually meet those people that you actually realize the situation and I haven't had a clue about how many incredible organizations were actually working mm. on the ground and to actually see so passionate and driven to actually help young people from marginalized communities. To mm -hmm. me, that's absolutely phenomenal. Mm -hmm. To meet those young people, actually, I think this is what actually will make my days in, you know, any work days when actually I have days where actually, you know, mm -hmm. I, I meet them. I think it's something which is absolutely incredible. And I think Maybe in the challenges is that sometimes it's hard to say no. 
because there's so many incredible organizations in mm -hmm. that position, you actually, you can't help and support everyone, even though you know that what they do is incredible. Mm -hmm. But you have to make the decision to stay very focused on your mission and what the foundation has chosen to support mm -hmm. and where we need to drive social change. You yeah. told us that as well. <laughs> There's going to be so yeah. many people asking for money, the most yeah. difficult people deciding who, yeah. which I think is right. It's true. Mm. And it's the opportunity cost of every grant. Every time yeah. you say yes, there's a trade-off, there's a no. And something that a lot of donors of all kinds, companies, people, foundations that they struggle with is not saying no clearly enough because they feel bad or they don't want to be too direct and offend anyone, but then it puts these grantee partners of these charities nonprofits into this place limbo. of amb this limbo this mm, ambiguity mm. and actually being clear and saying no we're going to focus our resources on this thing mm -hmm. is an act of kindness as it is in anything in life but it's the eternal conundrum yeah 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 exactly that's amazing this podcast is made possible by seagull family foundation we are building an extensive network of extraordinary people, positively transforming lives and communities across Africa. Whether you are a dreamer, funder, leader, or visionary, our network can help you make the greatest impact. To learn more, visit www.seagullfamilyfoundation.org or contact us at info at seagullfamilyfoundation.org. So now I want to talk about business by design, BBD, which we may hyphenate and make it shorter. It was very clear from the early, early stages, even like the very first meetings that we had with you, that you had very big ambitions for your social impact, that you wanted to do this from a place of creativity, which is obviously very inherent to everything that happens here. There's the traditional grant making route through the foundation, which you do and you do brilliantly and that's ongoing and, and will be. But it was also clear that you wanted more of a flagship, like a legacy program. You wanted to leverage all of your in-house resources, your in-kind resources, which is very common for brands, but like fully understand the assets you have at your disposal and use that to help this mission. And so that's where the idea of this program came from. It's called Business by Design, an Academy by Kurt Geiger coming soon. It's launching this September. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about it because I think it's such an interesting case study in corporate flagship programs. But before we get into what that's like, how it is for you, can you just give the pitch? Can you give the overview? What is Business by Design and what should listeners know about the program? Business by Design is our flagship program because we want to drive direct social impact. Mm -hmm. And it will actually be a learning program for 18 to 20 years old uh, young individual from marginalized backgrounds who have the dream of wanting to work in the creative industry. Mm -hmm. And with this learning program, what we want to do, we basically want to connect our strengths, talents, expertise, everything that we actually have and make that business a successful business with young people who actually want to do something but not sure how to access it, don't have the network, not so sure what to do and how to actually enter the creative industry. Mm -hmm. What we want to do, we want to create a program where basically there will be a lot of learning through peers where we will actually have all the departments from Kurt mm -hmm. Geiger teaching, mentoring, do a lot of special project work placement with about 20 young people mm -hmm. to start with for our first cohort. Mm -hmm. That will be 
more than a learning program in the sense that we really want to create a hub, you know, a platform where young people from marginalized communities and Kurt Geiger talents actually mm -hmm. join forces and, you know, hold hands together mm -hmm. and, you know, all come stronger out of it. You will be able to learn from marketing to design to buying, finance, all those incredible skills that we need to basically make a, a fashion business successful. Mm -hmm. That will basically last eight months, but four to five days a month of learning. It will actually be in headquarters. We will actually build a dedicated space or hub for those students. I love that. We will look after them fully. The work placement will be paid. I mean, we'll basically make sure that they actually have, you know, incredible time with us and come stronger and with more confidence and better equipped mm -hmm. uh, when they will actually go for that first interview. That first job is so hard to get when you don't know anyone, when you don't mm -hmm. really know what you will be asked. We would also have, you know, our human resource company preparing them for interviews to make sure mm -hmm. that they get those interviews and those jobs as the first jobs. Mm -hmm. That's the intention, you know. And hopefully those students will be super happy with the experience and want to basically then support the next generation, the next mm -hmm. cohort, and, and basically build that community where you don't have business antagonist to philanthropy but actually where we join business and philanthropy together mm -hmm. to actually have a beautiful intention and drive social impact and change that industry because it's an industry which is you know loved by so many but we know it's not the easiest industry to get in mm -hmm. it's not easy to access only 16% of people working in the creative industry actually come from working class background. Only 11% come mm -hmm. from BAME mm -hmm. uh, community. So there is a lot of things to do to change that. And we yeah. we want to do it at the level we can at Kurt Geiger. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that, the combination of business and philanthropy. And I think there's also the combination of business and design. It's brilliant. Yeah. I just can't wait to get started. I'm yeah. pretty famous being impatient. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, it is mm. absolutely mm. so cool. It's good. I mean, you get trained up in every function of a business. For, you every know, function, Which exactly. I love. Even if you're passionate about shoe design, you still have to take the, the finance and the HR module and, and vice versa. They're so holistic and it helps people know what they don't know, which is such a barrier. Well, all of our board started on the shop floor. Yeah. So we recruit mm -hmm. three or four hundred people a year. Wow. Anyway, yeah. in the company, yeah. 80% of them work in our stores, 20% in our head office. Yeah. So I think it will very quickly become circular Yeah. Mm -hmm. that you will find your first proper job through yeah. coming through our academy. Yeah. That's the real goal for me. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think that's an important aspect to bring to life as well, which is the shared value of a program like this. There's there's a business return, which is that future yeah, pipeline. Yeah, 100%. And, and you're going to be more loyal to us or you're going to understand the company more. You're going to have yeah. more of an emotional connection from the company from day yeah. one. Yeah. So I think it's very lots of positives for us mm -hmm. as much as, you know, the wonderful people that we're going to help. I think. Yeah. And can I ask about that as well? Because this, I mean, we're still in pilot stages and it yeah. is... For listeners' knowledge, this is a massive investment from the business in all forms of the resource that is taking it's taking to do this, from the staff to the financial investment to the space in your headquarters. Mm -hmm. We're building like the Soho House, you know, equivalent for the people in the first cohort. There's so much care and thought put into every single detail and a really significant mobilization of your business resource for this, for something that isn't 
explicitly related to your core operations. This is a little bit on the side, or maybe you don't see it that way. But I'm wondering, Neil, especially for you as CEO, for a pilot program, especially when that's not scaling yet, you know, this first cohort is 20 people. What was it like for you to commit that level of resource? Why did you do that? When we started the foundation, we linked the money raised for the foundation to a new loyalty scheme. Mm -hmm. So the loyalty scheme, if you shop with us globally, whenever you shop, buy a shoe or a handbag from us, we put one pound or one dollar if it's America into. So it's not the yeah. customer's money, it's our money. Yeah. So you could argue rightly that it's probably going to cost us around the company one and a half to 1.8 million pounds a year. Mm-hmm. But I see that as, well, you can argue in many ways and there's a famous thing called man maths, aren't there? But you argued that, that it's as much marketing, you know, it's 1.8 million pounds into reinvesting into the business. Mm-hmm. And of that, probably half of that money will go into the new academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, roughly. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Seven, eight, nine hundred thousand pounds. Yeah. Because we're building a team to run it. Yeah. We want it to be accredited. We want it to form part in a very small way of a lot of young people's education. Yeah. So you can argue that it's a lot of money, but it's almost, in my view, businesses can't afford not to do things like this. Yeah. I know that's a little bit fluffy maybe, but I think think we definitely feel that the company is a better business by doing what we're doing. It's not a thing that's in isolation over here. It's very fundamental to our brand, really. Our three attributes of the brand are London our base, our creativity. I mean, British companies are always fantastic at creativity Mm, and kindness. So those are our three attributes. And we're very serious about all of those three things. Yeah. I think it is a very unique thing about this program and about you as a brand from just my experience of working with you. And there's so many companies that have not even a full time and global companies who have maybe half of someone's job working on running their foundation or they, they have all these big ambitions and they speak about it very loudly publicly. Mm. But the way that that mirrors internally, the actual resource they dedicate to it, the time at senior management level that they spend thinking about this is very disproportionate to how much they shout about it. And that's not always true. That is changing. But I do think that this is a really brilliant example of integrity on that front. And well, of, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that I, was stupid. No, no, I think I, I really, I deeply believe that. And it's very cool. It's very, no, very good. cool. No, we're, we're happy that you can't lie mm. about something this important. Mm-hmm. You just can't. You're either going to do it or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And mm-hmm. You're going to go down in flames, as you said. Yeah, go, yeah. Down, go, go down, down. Go out in know, style. We're, we're not saving... Yeah. You know, selling shoes and handbags, which is wonderful, and we're really good at it. But you're not saving lives, are you? This is more serious, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. This is great that you can help people realize some great young people's ambitions. That's much cooler than designing a handbag, I think. (laughs) I love that. And speaking of the investment that you've put into this to create, to doing this pilot, one of the key things that we've worked with you on is the co-design, the participatory process of co-designing this with a youth council. So with a group of people who are from the target audience that you want to reach, those 18 to 20 year olds from underrepresented backgrounds in the creative industries, because we knew we were all sitting around, you know, the board table in the next room going, we have loads of ideas, but none of us are from that background. So who are we? And it's, it's a big principle that we 
really champion at IG, just the idea of, of that co-creation of human-centered design, all those good things that we all know about. So we had this youth council, we appointed them with you, we did three design workshops. I just want to give them a shout out on the air. So this was Lisa, Tashan, Amal, Samuel, Ollie, and Harry. So thank you all so much. It was it a was lot magic. of fun. It was. It yeah, was magic. magic. No, it really was the best meetings I've done in the last 12 months. Oh, that's so... It was really, really good. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. And it was really... So we did the process in true human-centered design fashion. It was zooming out first on the challenges rather than solutionizing too quickly and then ideating, rapid brainstorm, and then drilling down on the details and making decisions. And I'm wondering what that was like for you as a business, as a senior management team, to sit around that board table with, but with a whole bunch of new faces around it, to take advice from them, to decide to do that in the first place. What was that experience like? To me, that was humbling, energizing, touching. I always try to remind myself that listening is so important in life. Mm -hmm. And during those sessions, it was all about listening. Mm -hmm. You know, those young people are the ones who face the struggle. I don't think we would have ever done it without them. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's always about you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And they oh, basically yes. gave oh, us yes. audiences. And it has yeah. to be designed by them, for them. Mm -hmm. But hugely humbling and... And touching, I think. Mm -hmm. It was the drawings for me. Mm. That was fun. Yeah, that was great. But the draw how you felt when you were, you know, leaving school and you mm -hmm. had all these ambitions, but you didn't know how to get there. Yeah. And put that in to a sketch or a picture as opposed to talk about it. Because those things are quite difficult to talk about, mm -hmm. aren't they? Especially for young people. All yeah. of us, actually. That was really amazing. I've taken those pictures around the world with me. Mm -hmm. That's so I've cool. got them out in a big sort of Ponzi CEO conference in Miami. Oh, my God. That's and great. just showed everyone. I took them home. I mean, I bought everyone with them. <laughs> um, but even our, you know, our board meetings, which are all understandably dry, mm -hmm. you get them out mm -hmm. and you talk about the barriers to entry and the walls or the mm -hmm. blocks that you have when you're dyslexic or you're autistic or you're financially challenged or pressures from your family about the type of career that would be right for you that don't feel right for you yeah. all of those things drawn on pictures was amazing mm -hmm. absolutely and I think it was fun to build the program in the spirit of what we want the program to be mm -hmm. as you say this is not a dry boardroom program this is highly dynamic colorful energizing creative program so it needs to be built in that yeah we're spirit. a colorful brand we're a happy brand yeah and we're an optimistic oh, yeah. brand so we need you yeah. know you need all those bits of the dna of our company mm -hmm. in the program which i think we've done so far yeah that is awesome well big success there mm. You certainly helped us through that because I'm very impatient. And I was like, oh, God, why do we have to spend <laughs> hours talking about it? I know exactly what I want to do, but of yeah. course I didn't really. Yeah. I just wanted to get to the end without the middle bit. Mm -hmm. But you helped us through the middle bit. That's awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you for trusting us with mm, the middle that's bit. That's cool. So I know what you mean. It does take more time. It takes more energy, mm. more resource, more time, but it does pay off. And it does mean that this is truly a buy-in for program that mm. we've tested our assumptions, we've mapped them out, and that you really are going into it with the best of intentions. And also that, you know, we compensated the young people who were part of the council, which is yeah, really absolutely. important. So paying them for their expertise. And there's a lot of people or brands that do participatory processes but don't do them in the right way. And I think that was also 
it was just really fantastic from yeah. start to finish. So thank you for that. And they're all very talented. They oh, yeah. all have something that, you know, what we're also looking into is to actually bring them into projects so they can actually, you mm -hmm. know, work with us on marketing campaigns, social media. I mean, they're so creative and so talented that uh, yeah. it's also to give them opportunities uh, beyond business by design, beyond the foundation, but also in their field of passion and, you know, for Kurt Gagel to give them, you know, work opportunities as well. And that's what we are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will have told listeners and I am going to remind them again about how they can get involved, what they need to know about the Academy because it's launching this September. That's the initial sessions and then the full thing will launch in January. In of January. Next year. Yeah. So it'll be great. And yeah, thank you for bringing us along in this because it's been such a delight. And I'm wondering if we can kind of zoom out again. So we spoke about the foundation. We spoke about this flagship in-house program. There are so many brands these days who want to do more social impact work, whatever that means to them. They want to start a foundation or they want to have better CSR. They want to even restructure their investments. They want to do all these things. But there's a lot of, I certainly think it's more and more an expectation of a business to do something. But there's also a risk of when you stick your head above the parapet, then you hmm. are opening yourself up to commentary. And that is true. I'm wondering... A, I have two questions. First part of that, how have you, what is your relationship like that to risk, you know, to the concept of doing something new in your industry, to trying something innovative? How do you relate to risk in that context in the work that you do? We don't really think about it that much. Mm -hmm. We go with our heart, mm -hmm. rightly or wrongly. Mm -hmm. Clearly, we think about it subconsciously, I suppose, and the amount of money and capital committed you know, we could build four new shops mm -hmm. with the money we're putting into the academy. Mm -hmm. So I suppose one does think about those things. But mm -hmm. because the brand is now a global business, yeah. we're bigger in America than yeah. we are in the UK, for example. Just one tiny little stat. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much more for us to do as a company in terms of our growth that it is even more important that we're doing the right things and yeah. bringing people on our journey. So yeah. I suppose one naturally thinks about the risk subconsciously. But again, I think it's such a great attribute of the business now that we, I think once you get the taste of it, you want to do more. Mm -hmm. Certainly that's what our feeling is. You know, yeah. you think actually you gain confidence and you feel the impact and you don't get as scared than where you were maybe mm -hmm. on the ground floor. Yeah. And that reminds me of something you said earlier about we can't afford not to do this. So I think there's oftentimes we always think of risk in the direction of change, but there's also a risk to staying the same. Mm -hmm. And that risk will increase over time. And I think it's really cool that you're kind of measuring that trade-off now and trying something new. And it's not about being perfect. I'm sure the pilot will change, exactly. you know. It's meant to be a living pilot. That's the whole point. And you are coming to this with so much heart. And I think that's really all anyone can do at the end of the day. So I'm wondering if there was a brand who was listening to this and they're thinking about taking their social impact to the next level as you might have been, let's say, two years ago. What advice would you give them? Just start. Mm -hmm. I think always the hardest bit is starting, mm -hmm. isn't it? Whether you're revising or writing your board report or yeah. reading a book for me, it's always a yeah. pain in the ass. Just start, do the first page. Yeah. Because you build confidence, it builds momentum, you get less scared. 
and I suppose have people around you that can help you. Yeah. That's cool. And build a very tight group of people that believe in the thing. But yeah, just start, I think, is the most important bit, really. That's the hard Mm -hmm. thing, Mm -hmm. getting going. Yeah, agreed. And that feels very aligned with the creative, the ethos of creating anything. Like going back to the because nothing's ever of your perfect brand. in life, yeah. is it? Exactly. Yeah. Personal, professional. Nope. We can't get to that perfection on anything really. But mm-hmm. I suppose it's having the motivation just to daily, daily chip away and little half a percent's improvement in mm-hmm. the company every day. That's mm-hmm. sort of culturally what Geiger is really. Yeah. And it does you either up. stay for like three months or you stay forever. Yeah, yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> You're both perfect examples of that. No, it's true. I love that. It's such a, it's a really good ethos. And I think that's really, really important for anyone, but especially people working in big companies and in bureaucratic institutions where there's a lot of red tape, you know, there's different levels of decision making. And there's such a reticence to start because there's a desire for perfection and sign off and trust across all levels. And I think in this case, it came you know from the both of you from the senior management team so we never had to work to get by no we didn't have to ask anyone but yeah exactly (laughs) which definitely helped us move very quickly with you there are other people we've worked with where you do have to do a whole influencing agenda but i think that was a real asset within this collaboration there was already buy-in from the most senior levels within the business so we could just get down to work and we could take risks together and trust each other and just get on with it which i think is amazing yeah it's true All right. So we've spoken about so much. We're going to start to wrap up. But before we do, something we always do with all of our guests is a speed round Mm. of get to know you questions, which is A, just for fun, because I love it. But also (laughs) B, because when we're talking about changing the world and doing it through these, you know, big companies and all of our titles and everything's very fancy, it's so easy to lose the human element. And actually, this is just fundamentally about humanity and not taking ourselves too seriously and just connecting on a level that we don't often get to in our jobs. So that's the ethos behind this. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. I have eight total, so I'll alternate between the two of you. Does that sound all right? Yes. All right. I can see from your faces that you're very <laughs> not at all uncomfortable about this. Don't worry. It'll be, it'll be okay. All right. Question number one for Neil. What fashion trend do you wish never existed? Oh, God. I wish I looked better in hats. <laughs> so maybe it's a, maybe it's a hat thing because I don't have any hair. So I wish I was a beautiful in hats. The mm. Apple Watch gets on my nerves. Oh, because yeah. no, no, but that's a, it's not yeah. because I don't like the Apple Watch. My wife was almost loves her Apple Watch more than me, but it's because I can't wear another watch. And I even got to the point of wearing two watches once, because, oh, wow. which looked even more ridiculous. Yeah. So the Apple Watch is sort of annoying because it's super cool, but it means uh-huh. I can't wear a normal watch and hats. Yeah. Can I have two? There's two. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I agree about the Apple Watch. I have very small arms and it doesn't fit me doesn't <laughs> I can't, it? it looks bizarre Isn't on my arm and i know i need the child's <laughs> apple watch but they haven't come out with it yet so if anyone from apple is listening to this that is my I'm sure there are feedback. lots of people from apple listening to this <laughs> exactly okay i agree with that pascal over to you what is your favorite board or card game so i'm not a board no card game person that's fine so i will go to the next room and i will basically go in the room where you could actually <laughs> listen to music and dance because i like that gotcha. that's more my type of things okay but yeah, okay board games card games whenever someone has me that i'm like oh 
It's not very French, I don't think. That's true. But your husband's yeah. Canadian, right? My husband's Canadian. But yeah, so he, he will play like dominoes. For okay. instance, that's the only thing he will okay. do. But it's not yeah. my thing. No, I'm, I'm not a Fair board enough. game person. And I have a daughter and uh, I haven't really been good at her. <laughs> I'm bringing that as part of her education. Ah, that is absolutely fine. You're too cool for card games. That's cool. Neil, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? I don't have an off button on my sweet tooth. Mm, fair. So it would have to be chocolate. Or I was in Italy last week, which is like desperately annoying for ice cream because it's all lovely everywhere. Mm. Chocolate or caramel, mm. I suppose, or ideally both mixed yes. together. I love that. I'm having caramel iced coffee right here. So good. Pascal, if you could switch lives with anyone for one day, who would it be? That's a hard one because I think in one day, mm. there's not much you mm -hmm. could get from a person you admire because yeah. you will naturally choose a person you admire. But yeah. what does one day give me? Okay, one week, so one month, if whatever it was horizon. one day, my instinct would be I would want to be a young child on their birthday because yeah. they have fun <laughs> from morning until evening. This is just <laughs> natural lightness, happiness. Yeah. And, you know, that is just, I like that. Answer. So it's a, it will be a fun day. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. And if I, I have that. to choose someone, I would not choose someone in particular who has existed because there's too many people that I find inspirational, but probably the imaginary character of my favorite book. Mm. Uh, it's a Japanese book. It's basically inspired by a Japanese samurai, uh, Miyamoto Musashi. Mm -hmm. And I think I would want to be him for one day because he's basically the master of uh, swordmanship, mm. where basically the sword has become an extension of, of himself. Mm -hmm. And he basically has reached that ultimate mastery of mental and physical, like everything basically has basically joined together to actually be, you know, the best samurai on earth. And I would like to experience that because it would be crazy. <laughs> That's very thoughtful, isn't it? That is. So you'll be either a child on their birthday or a samurai or, sword master. Yeah, that samurai. Fair Miyamoto play. Musashi, yeah. Okay. Wow. What an answer. I love that. Neil, what is the craziest thing on your bucket list? I want to drive around the coast of Italy. Mm for like two months mm. and have chocolate and caramel gelato yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. starting in portofino and going all the way around and ending up in venice mm. in like starting in may and finishing yeah. just before the holidays at the end of july love that that's, i'm gonna do that maybe next year mm. like genuinely gonna do it that's amazing all right hold you to this mm -hmm. um pascal if you could be best friends with one of the characters from friends who would you choose Phoebe, because <laughs> yes. she's very funny. <laughs> that is the Because she's very answer. funny, but also because yeah. she's very independent. She's unconventional. Mm -hmm. She doesn't follow anyone's rules. She loves a little bit of disobedience. Mm -hmm. I can't say that word, mm -hmm. but she doesn't obey to the rule. Yeah. And yeah. I, I kind of like all that. Yeah. 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 She's weird and subversive. She's weird. Yeah, love exactly. She, she's not traditional in any way. Yeah. And I, and I love that craziness. Oh. It's, it's fun. Good answer. Agreed. Neil, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? Get up early. That's great. That's a very CEO thing to say. Mm. Well, I think <laughs> the, the early people rule the world. Mm. It's a secret, mm -hmm. but that's true. Yeah. So I agree with that. Get up early. 
set your alarm for something begins with five. Mm, what time do you get up every day? 4.47, which is a weird number. This yeah. the, the house that I was born in was number 447. Ooh. But I lie there at 4.42 looking at the alarm, waiting, wow. do I turn it off? Do I wait? Do I, you know, is my wife going to be annoyed if I'm turning off at the plug? Uh-huh. What time do you go to bed? Like 9.30. Okay. Okay. So, you know, in many respects, super boring, (laughs) but um, get up early Yeah, and floss your teeth. (laughs) Yes. I think that's a good one. It's an an underrated thing. That is absolutely... It's an underrated thing, flossing your teeth. I feel very... I've got lots of these. Mm, Yeah, any (laughs) more? Every time I floss, I feel very adult. I feel like I'm really taking care of myself. It's really, it's a really... minty floss. Ooh, it like, yeah, I don't mind which. It's nice. But no, I think I think um, I think get up early and flush your teeth, and it's all going to be fine. I love that. Okay, we need that on a T-shirt. I think there should be an induction pack for the business by design participants, which is advice from Neil. <laughs> Wake up! The program starts at four forty-seven a.m. Yeah, Kurt Geiger headquarters. Read the Financial Times. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can do a long list. Yeah, mm, that's good. That's very good. And Pascal. If you did not work in marketing for a brand, what alternative career path might you choose? I think it would have been something involving creation, styling in fashion or interior. That's mm. where my brain goes. Mm-hmm. I don't force it. This is what my brain yeah. thinks all day, all night. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Well, Thank you both so much. You have survived the speed round of questions. That's it. That's good. Um, but that was absolutely fascinating. I loved your answers and I loved this whole conversation. I've loved the whole conversation the last year and a half, but today especially. And thank you again for working You're with very us welcome. and just being absolutely dream clients. I'm wondering, just to wrap up for listeners, if there's one thing that you want them to remember from this conversation, whether it's floss your teeth or something bigger, what would it be? Mine would be just start. Mm. If you've got any ambition to mm-hmm. help people, just get going. Yeah. Even if it's tiny and you think, oh, it's, you know, I can't just do that. You know, I need to make a bigger impact. Yeah. Once the ball is rolling, it's much easier to grow it. Mm-hmm. I love that snowball. It will grow. Pascal? Same for me. It will be don't think twice. Mm-hmm. Start, do it. Don't think business is antagonist to philanthropy. Mm-hmm. I think if... We could actually have business and philanthropy together. And if, you know, all businesses were to Mm -hmm. do something to drive social change Mm -hmm. and drive social impact, I think that's incredible. It's like, don't be scared to be in a vulnerable position where you may actually start something you don't know, Mm -hmm. but it will be hugely rewarding. Mm -hmm. Don't think twice. It's all right. Hmm. Just start, floss your teeth and wake up at 447. (laughs) Correct. Amazing. Thank you both so much. Thank you. All right. That is all we've got for today. A huge thank you again to Neil and Pascal and the whole Kurt Geiger team, Marwa, of course, and all the trustees we've worked with. It's been such a pleasure to work together. And I really, really enjoyed today's conversation. I think there was a lot of heart in it and... It's always nice to zoom out on the work you're doing and see the wood for the trees and and remember the why behind it. So I really enjoyed that. I also think the speed round was just super fantastic and great advice in there. So definitely be sure to follow that. 
A few thank yous and also some signposting before we sign off. So someone I also want to give a shout out to and send a thank you to is Gabby Cervera. Gabby used to work at IG. She actually just recently left us to work at The Conduit, which is sad for us, but also amazing for her and amazing for The Conduit. But I worked very closely with Gabby on the Kurt Geiger account for much of its inception. So I just really want to send a thanks to Gabby for helping make all of this such a big success. You were very much thought of in this interview. And I also just want to give a little bit more information on the Academy again. If you want to get in contact with Kirk Iger, if you want to learn more, maybe you're, you work with young people and they might be a good fit for it, or there's another way that you want to partner. So just to reiterate, if you want to get in touch with Kirk Geiger directly about the foundation or the Academy, you can email Marwa. She runs the foundation. Her email is foundation at kurtgeiger.com. And or you can register your details at the link in the description of this podcast. It's Google form that goes straight to the Kurt Geiger team. So they will see your details and they will be able to get in touch with you. So more episodes are coming soon. And in the meantime, as always, you know where to find us. We're Twitter at IG underscore advisors. Our website is impactandgrowth.com. Follow us on LinkedIn as well. That's a very good way to get updated on everything we're doing and also our newsletter, which is on our website. And you can always shoot me an email. I'm rachel at ig-advisors.com. And finally, finally, of course, another huge thank you to our official sponsor, Siegel Family Foundation, for making this possible. And to our media partner, Alliance Magazine. Don't forget, you can use the code WHATDONORSWANT, all one word, for 50% off an Alliance subscription. All right. Thanks again for listening. See you soon. This podcast was produced by myself, Rachel Stephenson Chef, Esther Cavour, and the team at Scrubcast. Shout out to Dave and Tim. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us do what we do. Thanks so much.